Welcome to the Unqualified Sports Show for February 29th, 2020. It's a leap year. This might be the first time we've recorded in a leap year. Uh, or at least the, uh, leap, the leap year proper, yeah. Yeah, yeah. leap day. Anyway, uh, I am your host, Nate Snitko, and with me as always is my partner in crime, Forrest James. Hello. All I was right. say, we've been doing this like five years, haven't we, the sports show? Yeah, I mean, I think we've definitely done it like during a leap year. I just meant yeah. like I don't think we've ever the recorded actual on day. the actual leap day yeah. before. <clears throat> anyway, we start today with the Boston Bruins, who win their most recent game by a final score of 4-2-3. Uh, it was a pretty good game for a Bruins team that has uh, been leading the league for a couple of le- weeks now. Um, still being chased in the standings by the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. They got a goal in this one from Nick Ritchie, which is a name you may not uh, realize plays for the team, which we'll talk about in a moment. <laughs> um, they did end up having um, an okay day in goal in this one from uh, Tuka Rask. Um, they had a fight from David Krejci, which the Bruins channel said, you know, sparked them to the win, which... I got to be honest with you, I find kind of unlikely, but uh, it was all around a pretty good game for a team that has been playing at a high level for pretty much the entire season at this point. We are past the um, the trade deadline, which we'll talk about in a moment, but uh, this Bruins team is, is playing pretty well, uh, and right now it looks like they're finally starting to get goals from people other than the top three. So they got uh, goals from this one from Charlie Coyle and from Nick Ritchie. Um, they also got a goal from uh, David Krejci in this one. So, uh, you know, all the way around, a, a pretty good showing by, a li- you know, lines other than the top line, which is, I think, one of the things they were concerned about going into the uh, the trade deadline was sort of getting uh, a little bit more scoring outside of that ridiculous top three that they have. Um, they made two moves around the trade deadline. Um, the first one is one that moved David Backus, a first-round pick, and a prospect out of town to bring back Andres Kasha. Uh, Andres Kasha is a forward who was uh, previously on the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, I actually really liked this trade for a couple of reasons. First of all, it they basically may, allowed them to get rid of 75% of David Backus's contract for next season. Um, they did retain, I think, 1.25 million. Uh, excuse me, 1.5 million uh, of his salary next year. Mm-hmm. Um, bringing back a guy who makes, I think, a, a two and a half million, uh, and is locked up for a few more years. Um, it cost them a first round pick that, I, which I'm not thrilled about. But that first round pick is probably going to be very deep in the uh, in the first round, almost a second round pick. So I don't feel too bad about them giving that up to to get somebody to take on David Bagus's contract okay. um, from a financial standpoint. I think this is good for a couple of reasons, not least of which is it makes it much more likely that they're going to be able to bring back Matt Grelzik and Tori Krug, both of whom are free agents at the end of the season. There was not really a great way to be able to bring those guys back with David Backus still on the, on the books. Um, now that you're taking four and a half million of his contract and removing it from the the uh, the you know the what's going on next season that'll give them a little bit more room to play with. Um, as far as getting back Andre Kasha, that Kasha is a guy who I frankly feel like could be a very good grab for them. 
The biggest knock on Kasha is that he is kind of fragile. Um, he's he's been fairly uh, injury a, prone. Is he an injury history? That's and worse, big. he has a concussion history, which is oh, one of the reasons why a lot oh, of teams didn't oh, want to go anywhere oh. near him. But he only makes two and a half million per year. Um, he is locked up for, I think, the next three seasons after this one, and it gives them somebody who can be a good winger for David Krejci. Um, Krejci, they've been looking for somebody to cover that right wing position as long as they can keep Kasha even remotely healthy for the remainder of the season. I actually kind of like that pickup for him. And he's cheap enough that if he doesn't work out for them, buying him out is not going to be that big a deal. He doesn't have any bonuses due to him. Um, You know, the buying out two and a half million isn't going to hurt them in the long term. Not like buying out six million would have been with David Backus had they allowed him to go to uh, the summertime. So, you know, all around, I really liked this trade. Um, I, it gave them a lot more financial flexibility. It gives them an up, a possible player with some pretty good upside in Kasha. They have to get rid of a first-round draft pick, which I'm not thrilled with, but that first-round draft pick is almost certainly going to be in the high 20s, if not you know 30 or 31, depending on how well they do in the playoffs. Uh, it give you know they lose a prospect from the AHL who honestly is not somebody who was likely to be able to crack their lineup in the first place. It's basically another forward that, you know, their forward depth right now is so ridiculous that they're basically having players leave them to go to, you know, back overseas, uh, which is what happened in at least one case, because they just can't find a way onto this NHL lineup. So, you know, that gives you somebody with an NHL experience who is much less expensive. It removes a contract from your, you know, from your roster that was going to make it hard for you to you know bring back the people you want to be able to bring back basically it's a good move to future proof your team it's a good move to future proof your team and the worst case scenario is is that kasha continues to be injury prone doesn't work out and you end you either end up finding a buyer for a guy who has a very reasonable contract which i don't think is going to be particularly difficult to do or you just buy him out outright yeah um so all all the way around i think that they did a really good job with this one the second trade I'm a little bit less positive <laughs> on. Uh, the Bruins traded Danton Heinen for Nick Ritchie, also of the Anaheim Ducks. Um, this looks to me like they wanted to do two things. One, they did want to clear up a little bit more cap space. Heinen had just signed a two-year deal with an average annual value of $2.8 million. Uh, Ritchie coming back the other way is only worth $1.5 million on the cap at the moment. Um, the other thing that it, that it gives them is somebody who is known for being a little bit more of a hard-nosed player, somebody who's a little bit more physical. Because I know that one of the things that the Bruins fans had found kind of frustrating about the way that Heinen played. Hmm. Um, that said, I think Heinen still has enough upside. I'm not really thrilled at Nick Ritchie coming back the other way. Um, I, I thought that they could just be, scored make, a goal for you, though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, David Back has scored a bunch of goals in his first season, too. And, you know, <laughs> I, I will. I, that's being a little bit unfair to Nick Ritchie. I mean, Nick Ritchie makes a very reasonable contract. He is a big guy who gives them some size, which is one of the things that I know that a lot of the fans felt like was a problem against um, St. Louis in the Stanley Cup finals last year. Yeah. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily a bad pickup. I do think that they're giving up somebody who had a fair amount of upside to do it. That said, I may be overvaluing Denton Heinen in this particular case. Heinen's 24. He's kind of what he's going to be at this point as far as the NHL is concerned. He's not really considered a prospect anymore. I do feel like, though, that he was a he has the ceiling of being a much better player than, than Nick Ritchie is at the moment. Hmm. But yeah, That's fair. 
you know, it gives them even more flexibility for the offseason. The likelihood that they bring back Relzik and uh, and Krug just gets that much better. It allows them, you know, it gives them somebody who is able to be a little bit more defensive-minded uh, than, than Heinen was. By all accounts, he's a little bit better on the power play than Heinen was, which I think is actually one of the most frustrating things about Danton Heinen, which is as, as talented as he was, he wasn't really able to operate with a man advantage for some reason. Hmm. Um, so all things considered, it's not a terrible trade. I'm just a little skeptical, I guess is all. Gotcha. But yeah, a pretty mild trade deadline for the Bruins. Notably, they did not end up bringing in Chris Kreider, who was sort of the biggest name offensive player that was available. Um, nobody ended up landing Chris Kreider uh, in a trade. Uh, he ended up signing a extension with the New York Islanders basically the morning of the trade deadline. So that particular piece wasn't available. The next most um, the next most sort of prof, uh, prolific piece that was available out there would when uh, John Gabriel Pajot, who was traded from Ottawa to Florida, to, I think. Hmm. Um, okay. That was not a guy who was ever going to work for the, for Boston, and frankly. That ended up – I am very suspicious that that's going to end up blowing up in the face of the people who traded for him, largely because he is scoring at an unsustainable pace for him. He's shooting something like 18% right now, which in, for hockey is about three times what you would normally expect. Like 5 to 10% scoring on, on shots is about what you would normally consider. 18% is so high that you're either one of the best players in the league or you're just riding a ridiculous streak of luck and – you know, signing him to a long-term contract I didn't think was likely to end up working out for the Bruins had they chosen to do so. Hmm. As far as defensemen, I mean, there really was not a lot out there as far as defensemen were concerned. So I think they did the smart thing. Like, I know there were a lot of people who wanted them to go out and make a big trade for, you know, a guy like Chris Kreider. Um, they might have wanted them to go out and get, um, you know, like a big-name defenseman from another team. Those guys were not available this year. Uh, and frankly, I'm glad that they didn't go out and do it because to get it would have been ridiculously expensive. I'm not thrilled that they traded the first round pick. You know, they, this is basically going to be, I think, two years out of four that they've traded um, their first round pick to at, at the deadline. Uh, the previous time they'd done it would have been was to bring in Rick Nash, which obviously that didn't end up working out in the long term. Um ultimately because of his injury history. In this particular case, I think it's a little bit more defensible because it gives them that cap space flexibility that they're definitely going to need when they've got, you know, a bunch of the young players who they want to be their core going forward, coming up for, you know, for contract availability. But yeah, I mean, I'm a little worried that they're going to end up starving their prospect pool um, by by giving up a lot of these draft picks. They're going to have to be very, very good at drafting, you know, younger players, maybe bringing in guys like Andrakasha from other teams who maybe aren't considered by the rest of the league to necessarily be a safe bet, but ultimately could be, you know, way better. Like the thing about Kasha that I like is that he is a talented enough scorer that if they can manage to do what Anaheim has not and keep him healthy, if they're if they're that good with their training staff, and given the age of some of the guys that they have playing for them right now, you have to think they're at least pretty good at it. Mm. You know that they're in a position to get a lot more value out of a guy than they're actually paying him, um, and that's what they're going to need. I mean, th- their window with the current core is closing fast. You know, Krejci and Bergeron and Ch- and Chara are all I think at this point either thirty five or older. Um, you know, obviously Brad Marchand isn't exactly in Methuselah, but he's also over the age of 30 at this point. Really, you're talking about 
you know, four of their best five players who are within, you know, at, at the very least within three to four years of, of starting to look at retirement. I mean, except maybe Char, who might play until he's like 60, as far as 75. I can tell. He, he's he's got to be on that Tom Brady method. That's all I'm saying. Like, right. he is older than Tom Brady and is playing arguably a much more physical sport. Oh, way more. It's kind of insane, the fact that he's even still viable. Like, much less that he is considered to be one of their best defensemen. The fact that he is even a useful defenseman at the age of 43 is a little ridiculous. Anyway. Uh, let's move on to the Boston Celtics, who in their most recent game um, finished their road trip at a, with a uh, total of uh, three wins and one loss with a victory over Utah uh, with a final score of 114 to 103. And I, in, in a game that I honestly thought was sort of a scheduled loss for them, uh, they were basically going to high altitude for a late night game on a back to back without one of their best players. Uh, the Kemper Walker did not end up playing in this game for them. Um, I think it would have been entirely defensible for them to lose this game. But no, uh, Jason Tatum has been ridiculous for about a month now. Uh, his fifth yeah. straight game with 30 plus points scoring. Uh, I don't really know what to think about this. Like on the one hand, part of me wonders if this is sustainable for him. Um, but it is that sort of third year where you expect a guy to be able to take a leap. We kind of saw some of this from Jason, uh, Jason Tatum, um, in pre you know previous sort of seasons but never to this degree like he is definitely their number one offensive option right now and that was not really true um with the possible exception of those games that he played in the playoffs uh three years ago when he was a rookie um we saw some of this growth from Jalen Brown last year who went from being somebody who had a lot of potential upside to just a guy who has a lot of upside and a guy who was a borderline uh, all-star this season, but not to this degree. I mean, Jason Tatum has been absolutely ridiculous now. For the, I want to say in the last 10 games, he's averaging like 27 points a game, um, cl pretty close to eight rebounds a game, and above like four assists. Like his, score, his offensive numbers have been ridiculous, and he's been one of their best defenders – in this stretch yeah. as well, which is actually been, learned defense this year. too. Uh, it, it's been really like for a guy, I always sort of thought that, that Jalen Brown was going to be the better defender between the two of them. But really this last sort of half season that we've just been through, it really has been Jason Tatum who is sort of stepped up to be the guy on offense and, you know, arguably just as good on defense. Um <laughs> The the ringer guys, a lot of whom are um, are Philadelphia 76ers fans. Okay. Uh, they posted a video yesterday that amounted to we regret, we regret to inform you that Jason Tatum is actually good. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's a real twisting of the knife for them, because you may recall he was the guy that the Celtics picked when they swapped the first round pick for the third uh, the, the their first round pick for the Sixers first round pick and get, ended up getting another first round pick from the Sixers the following season to do it. Like, Oh wow. Yeah. That might be one of Danny Ainge's <laughs> greatest heists of all time. And the guy they drafted Markel Fultz is no longer on the team. Like he ended up being a bust. Oh, at least for them. Now he's been playing much better this season in Orlando, but they basically had to pay Orlando to take him to be able to free up some, um, some cap space to sign Tobias Harris, who is being paid, superstar money to be an okay shooter. So 
Yeah, I mean, Jason Tatum has been ridiculous. This game was a pretty good indication of just how good he can be. I mean, this was really a game that was where most of the odds would have been stacked against them just from, you know, it's one of those games where you look at the schedule and go, why do you have to do this to us? Like second night of a back-to-back, changing a time zone, going to high altitude, you know, one of your best players injured. They could have lost this game and they didn't. So I was actually really happy that they were able to come down with this one. Makes me wonder if this is their best win of the season. I think it is by far their best win of the season. And that includes the Clippers game where they, you know, where they, where they ended up playing against Kawhi because this is the kind of game that a team could easily be convinced is not necessary. They had already yeah. won two games. They, they'd already played a very close game against the Lakers that they lost by a score. They had won two games after that. They would, you know, that the very least they would have broken even coming back from this road trip, you know, and with all of the other things going into the Utah game, it would have been very easy for a team to sort of talk themselves into, well, we don't really need this one, but they ended up coming through. They, they showed a lot of, of, you know, a lot of compete, I think, in, in coming back with it. So, you know, I, I think it is their best win of the season by far. Uh, we did get some news that they may be getting some reinforcements. Robert Williams was finally, finally cleared to play. Um, he has been sidelined since December uh, with an edema of the hip that has basically prevented him from, in some cases, from even being able to work out. Um, they've been sort of patching things together with a combination of Daniel Tice, who obviously is the starter, but then Enos Cantor and Grant Williams at, at also being used uh, pretty uh, often at center. Cantor has been a real liability for them defensively on more than one occasion and looks like he's going to be the kind of player who is going to be very, very useful in certain situations, but really that they're not going to want to play in a lot of them. So getting a guy like Robert Williams, who has a lot of potential uh, upside as the defender, I think is going to really give them a, a big boost uh, coming into sort of the final stretch of the season. Um, I believe they've got something like 20, 25 games left on the remainder of the season. Like we're well past the half point waypoint okay. uh, at this point for them. Uh, in addition, Kemba Walker, who has been base, who has missed every game since the All-Star break, um, more about that in a second, uh, has finally been, they've been finally saying that he may be able to return with uh, some knee issues that he's uh, he's had. Okay. So uh, the real controversy surrounding Kemba Walker is, of course, that he was apparently told that he was on a minutes restriction for the uh, the All-Star game because he had been having knee issues going into it. And then those restrictions were summarily ignored by him and the uh, the coaching staff of the of the the Eastern uh, the well, I won't even say Eastern All-Stars because technically they were just team Giannis. Team, yeah. Um, and so there's been a little bit of controversy because that team was coached by Nick Nurse, who is the head coach of the team that the Celtics are chasing in the standings. Um, I don't think it was necessarily a. I don't think it's controversial, honestly. Like I don't think there was any anything to it other than uh, there are a lot of salty Celtics fans over this. I one. know there's salty Celtics fans. Period. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I think it was him being a little bit dumb during the All Star game. I mean, I do, I think it's one of those situations. Like I don't think that people realized the changes to the All Star game were going to make them make that game as competitive as it was. That fourth quarter of the the All-Star game was a much more competitive quarter in All-Star than we'd seen probably in at least two decades. Like basically going back to that, you know, those Michael Jordan uh, games of like the late 80s, early 90s. 
So yeah, easily, yeah. you know, I, 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 and I, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that Kemba in that moment just wanted to be, you know, just didn't want to come off the floor and they didn't want him to necessarily come off the floor. Even, you know, I'm like, it wouldn't be surprised me to find out that somebody mentioned him to him, the minutes restriction at one point, and he just ignored them equally. It would have just, it would not have surprised me that it, they just kind of forgot in the heat of the moment. <laughs> Isn't he under a minutes restriction? Don't you need to get me a cup of coffee? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but okay. the good news is, is that they haven't really suffered with him out, which has been kind of surprising. They've no. been very, getting very good play out of Brad Watermaker uh, in the the backup uh, spot, and of course, Marcus Smart has been low key like a really, really good player, like borderline all star for most of this season. Not only that, he's shooting well from three point range, which seemed unthinkable two it's years never ago. Never a sentence I thought I'd ever hear. Like he's shooting, he's shooting better than league average from three points and actually he's been doing so for a couple of seasons now. So yeah, I'm like, you don't necessarily want to see a lot of Marcus smart, but at least if you need him to do something offensively, he now can. Yeah. And of course, Marcus smart just sometimes does Marcus smart things like in the game against, uh, in the game against Portland, he absolutely picked somebody's pocket at one point to the where, where the game could have been, you know, easily taken from what ended up being a blowout to a much closer game. And, that's just what he does. Like he will completely ruin whatever momentum the other team ends up putting together. So, you know, that's one of the reasons we love him. I still hold that this team is way more fun to watch this year. Oh, it is way, way more, fun, more to watch. fun. Yeah, no, it is absolutely more fun to watch. Sure. And I got to be honest with you, like I want to give a big, you know, a big, you know, note of congratulation to Daniel Tice because I was very concerned. Like I didn't think that losing losing Kyrie was going to be that big a deal. Like Kyrie was enough of a, ball, of a ball stopper, and we saw basically what happened in the playoffs last year where at, when things got tight, instead of doing what he should have done, which is to go you know go back to the game plan, he tried to basically run iso ball all the time, which the Celtics are not built to do. Right, yep. Um, I was really concerned about what was going to happen when they lost Al Horford because Al Horford was often the one who provided a lot of the spacing. He was easily their best defensive player last season. Um, and Daniel Tice has really kind of taken the leap in his third season in the league and has become a real valuable, you know, NBA center. Like, I would not be surprised to find out that they're not able to hang on to him uh, after next season because he's just going to be end up make, end up making too much money. Somebody is going to be willing to pay him a lot more than he's making now. Like, he is stupid cheap for them right now. I think he's costing them like five million a year right now. His his contract is so low. He's actually hard to use in, as, in a trade package because he just, you know. Like there, you can't trade somebody for I think unless they make like up to I think the most the difference can be is like they have to be seventy five percent of whatever you're trading them for. So you could trade him for a guy who makes like maybe eight million, and they're just aren't you know I don't think they would do it right now. Like he has been I think maybe the league's best bargain in uh, right now. Um, yeah. And so you Possibly. know big ups to him for really kind of taking the leap in year three and being the answer to a question that I thought they were going to need a trade to fix. Like I really did think they were going to have to make a deal for a big man. And he's gotten so much better that they just haven't needed to. Uh, anyway, the last bit of news that I want to talk about is the Celtics um, came out and mentioned that they were unlikely to make a move in the buyout market uh, this season. Uh, this is not terribly surprising. I don't know if you've looked, but there haven't actually been that many players bought out this season uh, following the trade deadline. A lot of the guys that people sort of assumed would end up getting bought out were like guys like, um, you know, Tristan Thompson in Cleveland or, or you know, um, some of the guys from um, Charlotte. Like 
a lot of those guys didn't end up leaving their teams. And I don't really know why in some of those cases. Like Cleveland's doing something kind of weird right now where they're not buying out guys who definitely do not want to be there. Hmm. Um, and I don't really, and like they, they're playing for nothing. Like they, they aren't going to make the playoffs. Really, I think the, the only thing they're doing is hanging on and hoping they can get a be- better deal than what they were able to get uh, during the, the trade deadline in the offseason. But it's been a very strange sort of lack of buyout, the guys. And a hmm. lot of the guys who have been bought out, unfortunately, are guys like Isaiah Thomas, who as Celtics fans, we absolutely love, but he doesn't really fit too well on any of the teams that are out there right now. No, I mean, he's not the same guy that he was. No, and, you know, like, uh, if nothing else, he's a lot older and has definitely lost some of that explosiveness that made him so electric in, during his time in Celtics green. Yeah. I'm really hoping that he ends up pe- ke- catching on with the team. Like, I still don't think he's a bad player, but also I do feel like you need to, you know, he's a guy who's got to have the ball in his hands. Which yeah. is one of the reasons I don't think these work. Like in most recently, the Wizards had him. Why are you going to have a guy like like Isaiah Thomas on the Wizards? Like that ball is going to be in Bradley Beal's hand all the time. You don't want a guy like Marcus Smart on the on the court if that's going to be the case. But anyway, he wasn't always exclusively. I need to be the ball guy. No, but he is by far the best when he is directing the offense. And most of the places that he's gone. That's not an opportunity that they've that they've really given him to, you know, I like, yes, some of it is physical. Like, I, I don't, you know, that hip injury that he got is one of those ones that can end careers. It is kind of a miracle that he's been able to stay in the NBA at all after that. But by the same token, like, if you're going to have a guy like Isaiah Thomas on your team, that means you generally need to build your team to take advantage of the things that he does well. And he's not a catch-and-shoot guy. He's just not. Like, he's a guy who excels at you know, cutting the rim and making layups. He's a guy that excels at, you know, directing traffic and getting the ball to other people. I still yep. remember that game where he and Kelly Olenek basically just completely dismantled the Wizards in the playoffs together. Um, and that was largely because of his ability to direct the game. And that's, you know, if you're not going to give him the ability to do that, and it doesn't sound like anybody is, I don't know why you're bringing him on the team in the first place. Anyway. That's fair. Uh, we've gone way over on the first segment, uh, so let's take a break. And when we come back, we will talk about the Red Sox, who have started spring training. We will talk about the Patriots, who are currently taking part in the NFL Combine. And then, eventually, we will check in on some other football. All right, we are back. So the uh, the Boston Red Sox have started spring training um, under the auspices of still now interim manager Ron Renicky. There's been some indication that they've been maybe toying around with the beginning of the lineup. Uh, nobody really seems to know what it's going to look like right now. Obviously, with the absence of Mookie Betts, who was you know the somebody who anchored that lineup for them in previous seasons, they're going to have to do a little bit to uh, to move things around a little bit. Um, they, you know, there were some questions that were posed to Renke earlier this week, and, you know, he's been pretty open that he's going to be tinkering with it a little bit. Uh, it does sound like it's going to be a combination of uh, Xander Bogarts Ginny, and Gene Martinez, along with probably Andrew Benintendi and uh, Raphael Devers in some order, but nobody's really entirely certain what that order is going to be. My best guess is that Martinez will end up at the fourth spot, mostly because he seems to be the one who is the biggest power hitter of the four of them. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, but Raphael Devers 
early in spring training, at least, looks like he may have done something interesting with the form of his swing. So I'm actually going to be really interested to see how that ends up working out. Um, it looks like he's going with a much more level swing that might give him un- more opportunities for contact than he's had in uh, in times past. So certainly not somebody you would expect to put in a power spot with uh, with that kind of a, a, a form, but maybe he ends up being somebody that they can actually put at the leadoff spot if he ends up making you know a lot more contact with the ball than than he has before. Either way, like I want somebody with a good eye for leadoff. You do. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's definitely somebody who can get I, on base. I I miss the guys that used to um, grind out. It's going to sound weird for me. Um, that first at bat, just to see what the pitcher was going to do, to get uh, a better feel for the the pitcher. Yeah, I always it thought that was more re- important than trying to get a home run on the first pitch. Yeah, well, that does seem like one of the things they got away from that they have done well in times past. I mean, obviously. The 28 season, 2018 season, they were much more of a, a power-hitting team. But almost every other time they've been good, they've been really a team that has been one of those, you know, make-the-pitcher-work kind of teams. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a problem to watch. Really, it's the delays between the, the between pitches that stuff, ends up being yeah. an issue. So I, I don't mind watching that. But, yeah, I, I agree with you that having somebody in that, that first spot who can really – give you a good eye of what the what's going to be going on with the pitcher makes a lot of sense foul off a couple balls give give the give the guys behind you a, a little bit of um knowing what to expect from the pitcher yeah I, I, I absolutely hate the first pitch pop up out oh yeah like that's Probably the worst and thing because I really the, think you're 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 missing your purpose as the leadoff I, I, I would have to guess that at the likelihood is it'll be either um, Devers or Bogarts at um, at the in that first spot. When you, you know, if you look at Andrew Benintendi and you look at um, at uh, JD Martinez, Martinez is enough of a power hitter. I think you're better off letting him back clean up. Later. Yeah. And honestly, like unless Benintendi is going to be a lot more consistent than he has been in seasons past, I don't think that you put him in that leadoff spot. And I do think he deserves a spot, you know, in the top of the of that of that rotation. Yeah. But. He's, or the top end lineup. He's but. like number two or three. Honestly, yeah, because uh, he's already he's he's pretty vocal about not liking being the leadoff guy too. Yeah, and I just don't want somebody in there who's going to like whine about it every time he's doing it. No, that's fair. I'll be very interested to see how this goes. You know, the 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 indications of what's going on with Devers' swing indicate that this might be a little bit of a different season from him. Not necessarily that he's going to vastly improve. But, you know, the idea that he might be making more contact says to me that it might be a situation where they're looking to get away from slugging, and you know, balls out of the park and looking to go back to more of that, you know, grind it out, make the pitcher work kind of thing. And if you 70,000. Well, the thing is, don't forget, you also have that rules change where they're they're, that they put through where you have to face a minimum of three batters. Yep. So going back to that style of trying to put stress on the pitcher, I think, makes a certain amount of sense, at least to experiment with. Uh, we did get a bit of news involving Chris Sale. Uh, Chris Sale will not be pitching opening day. He was. It was announced Boo! that he, would, he would. He will be starting the season on the injured list. Boo! Yeah. Um, With pneumonia of all things, too. Yeah. It basically, it cost. According to Renicky, it cost him basically two weeks worth of uh, of conditioning. Um. Uh, I mean, you. I don't know what to think about Sale because on the one hand, um, like. 
this is not this is not the kind of thing where it's obviously something like he's not gold breaking or anything like that. On the other hand, man, like it feels like he's injured all of the time. Yeah, he's starting to feel like uh, the other guy we just got rid of, Price. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like because like he's he's injured like half the season. I mean, I guess the good news from this standpoint is that it was a it was an illness and not like a you know a nagging ligament yeah, thing that's going to the... be dealing with all season. What, what was his injury? Um... Was it a knee or something like that? Something like, like that. I got to be honest with you. I don't really. Remember. I can't remember what it is right now. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a sickness. It's not. It's not a, a an injury. I guess it's good, but there could be a silver lining here it's, if that in that you know if they do get it'll give them an opportunity to sort of figure out what they want to do with the rest of the pitching rotation because that is going to be a major question for them, right? Like they, they're yes. going to know three of those five spots, but if only two of those five spots are ready to go at the beginning of the season. You know, as spring is as good a time as any to figure out who's actually capable of taking over or if you actually need to make a trade. As long as it doesn't turn into corporal tunnel of the sinuses or something every time he doesn't <laughs> right. want to pitch. Yeah. No, I get you that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last bit of Red Sox news that I have for you is that the Red Sox have a prospect currently in uh, quarantine. Uh, the Red Sox are keeping Taiwanese pitching prospect Chi Jung Liu away from the spring training. Uh, for a 14-day period because of pos- uh, a, a what they say is a quote-unquote overabundance of caution uh, regarding his possible exposure to the COVID-19 coronavirus strain. There's no indication that he's ever been exposed to it, which is sort of the weird thing about this, but I can kind of understand, given the fact that he literally just flew in from Taiwan, which has been dealing with a pretty massive set of quarantines itself, why they would yeah. be uh, careful. You know, he is a young guy. He's only 20 years old. Uh, he was previously in uh, the Taiwanese Major League Baseball League. So certainly somebody they're going to want to keep an eye on. He did sign a uh, contract with a $750,000 signing bonus in November of last year. Okay. So somebody who they definitely see as being a part of their future. I just think it's a little odd that they're, Quarantine. you know, that they bring him in. It's like, nope, you get to be here for an additional two weeks before we can do anything else. And that's a real problem, I think, for them because, you know, obviously as a pitching prospect, that's a guy that you really want to be able to evaluate as quickly as you can. Yeah, but I, I can understand the caution, too. This, I, he, this uh, thing is starting to get Oh, no, look, like crazy. You, under the circumstances, it, it, you, the last thing you want is an entire Major League Baseball team exposed to – you know, something with a fatality rate of 2%. Not just one team, though. It could quickly spread yeah. throughout with the way they travel and stuff like that. I wonder if you and I are, like, because it's huh. really starting to be a thing that a lot of these big, like, conventions and things like that are going to be canceled. I actually am beginning to wonder if they're not going to have to cancel a couple of these events if it turns out that this does end up being a wider outbreak. I mean, uh, sporting events yeah. type things? Yeah, because so far, so far they can't, they, they, the only lot. sporting event type things I think that have been canceled for the most part have been like esports events. Um, but really, like, we're getting into the meat of, like, international friendly season for soccer. Well, here's, a, here's an odd thought. Olympics are in Japan. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on because they they actually have I think <laughs> are they are excellent. yeah they are in the window during which they can either postpone or cancel the games if mm. necessary. So we're going to talk about that mm. when we get to our third segment. So a little bit of a preview there. Mm. But I am worried like for something like Major League Baseball because they have so many international players. If it isn't likely yeah, that yeah. they end up losing a game or two to you know to coronavirus fears, um, it'll be real interesting to see. Like if you have a major breakout, for instance, in like. 
San Francisco to name a city at random. Like, does that mean that now you're not going to be playing Oakland A's and uh, and San Francisco Giants games? Well, as we're recording, MSNBC is reporting the first death in Washington State. In okay, so to it, the coronavirus. Right. So now you're talking about Seattle. You know, maybe having some some problems. Right. You know these. These teams are all in major population centers, so yeah, I mean, an outbreak, I would be a real, real problem for them. Yeah. I'd be really interested to see how other, you know, I haven't even thought to look into like what's happened when you've had these kind of outbreaks in the past. I mean, obviously, you know, modern sports are much different than they were the last time there was sort of a global pandemic, which would, so far as I can tell, be the the Spanish flu of 1919. So, man, it's going to be real interesting to see how this goes. SARS never got to this level, right? No, and actually, we're already like way beyond SARS when it comes to, you know, just the level of outbreak and even the number of deaths. Like, you know, even the officially recorded deaths, and there's some indication that like some countries that have been exposed to it, like Iran, may be sort of doctoring their numbers already when it comes to these sorts of things. I know those concerns were about China to begin with, anyways. Well, that was where the 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 Wuhan region was where that sort of originally broke out. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on to the New England Patriots. Probably the biggest news that involves the Patriots this week is that the NFL Players Union and owners are currently negotiating on a new CBA. Now, this is not a deadline thing for them. There is, uh, They are basically 11 months before the ex- expiration of the current CBA. Um, but it's been making news for a couple of reasons, one of which is that there seems to be a major divide within the Players Union between those guys who are at the top and those at the bottom, uh, not least because, you know, the their major ramifications as far as like the NFL uh, minimum salary are concerned, but also because um, the the prospect of the prospect of an additional playoff team and going to a 17 game regular season instead of the 16 game regular season, um, the. NFL Players Union voted, uh, their representatives this week voted to basically pass the resolution on to the players as a body to vote on. Um, But there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of player support behind the current CBA. Yeah, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah. Um, You know, there have been a lot of former and current big name players who have come out and spoken out publicly against it. Uh, Most famously, Aaron Rodgers this week came out and and slammed it pretty, uh, pretty heavily. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this is going to bear watching because it, it you know, we talked uh, a couple of seasons ago, basically right before the current CBA went in, there was that uh, proposal to go to an 18 game season yeah. with the two, um, the two uh, bye weeks. And it does really feel like the, the owners are bound and determined to get, you know, a, a couple of additional games into the schedule. Uh, in this particular case, it would be with an additional regular season game and then an extra playoff game, which would give them more playoff revenue. Uh, there's been some interesting ideas that they've put forward as far as how that 17th game would be paid for. There's some indication that that game may end up being uncapped, um, which would give them the opportunity. But basically means that the the money that you would be paying the players for that would not count against the calorie cap for that oh, season. Oh, okay, for that season. Um but yeah, it's been a very sort of strange negotiation where, you know, they obviously the players union representatives voted to pass it on to the players, but there's not a lot of indication that they actually support the, what they actually negotiated. For. I absolutely hate that additional playoff game. 
I, I absolutely I'm not a huge it. fan of it either. I got to be honest. Like, I, I as, really like the way that their playoff is structured. The thing is, I think they've got basically the perfect season right now. Like 16 games, it gives you yeah, kind of, yeah. a lot of regular season. Like already that last game is almost meaningless for like, what, yeah, at least half three of quarters of the teams in the league. Like, yeah, at least half. Either maybe you're, you know, in a lot of cases, it seems like either your seating is already set before when you go into that final week, or you know, you're or it's not, like the hail mary situation. Right. Where like usually there's a, win. usually there's like three or four teams where that where that that final se- game of the season is is really necessary. Um, but yeah, like I really wish they would stop tinkering with this. Like I, I know they're desperate to get more football out there. In part because it makes so much money, but like... And the FXL is doing so good. Well, look, <laughs> I mean, the thing about the XFL is that, like, it's football. And, yeah. th- like, it's... Even being replacement-level football, I think, is, is good for them. I don't think they're worried about the XFL. I think they're more uh, trying to get just... as much money out of the, out as they can. Like, the thing that the, that the NFL has well, always had to deal with is that for they've never really been able to be the, the you know, the full-on... Turn in any night, tune in any night of the week, and be able to watch football league that they really want to be. And part of that is legislation, because they, you know, there were some laws passed in the '70s that basically made it illegal for them to play Fridays and Saturdays. <clears throat> Excuse me. And part of that is that there's just not that much football, right? Like, right. The nature of the game makes it very difficult for you to be able to have it more than once a week for any individual team. So the the only way to get more games is to either extend the season. Or to add in, you know, gimmicks like another playoff game. But I just don't know how um, in the era of player safety is the most important thing to us. Yeah. We can keep adding high impact days to their schedule. I mean, I that think makes you, I think you've identified no the fundamental conflict here, right? Like, you know. Like we're going to have more injured players mm-hmm. and that's going to make for crappier playoff games and then they're going to give us more of those as well yep so i think in their desperate attempt to get more football to people because people are pretty rabid about it right Mm -hmm. they they love this the stuff i think in their in their 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 charge to give us more that they're that they're just going to hit a brick wall of injuries and we're going to get more mediocre football, the stuff we don't like. Right. The stuff like preseason, mm-hmm. which people always complain about those four games. But I notice that everybody watches those four games. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. But, you know, the thing that, that, that amazes me is that they won't do the one thing that would give them more football to, to, to put up there. They have steadily refused to create a minor league. Right. If you want more football to be available... Starting another league makes a lot of sense, right? Like, if there is that appetite out there. My my hope of hopes is that XFL doesn't well enough where NFL wants to kind of do a partnership with them. Well, I think that's the, that was definitely the goal of the AAF, and it wouldn't surprise me to find out that that is a possible end game for Titan Sports and Entertainment with the XFL, right? Like, that eventually they make themselves popular enough that they can be sold as a minor league. But I got to be honest with you, like you and I have talked in the past about the fact that the NFL really could use a minor league. Absolutely could, you know, and not, not only because it would give them more football to show, but because they're, they're having trouble getting guys trained to be able to do things that you are required to do as a professional player. Yeah. 
You know, because I just don't. I think college fails in that aspect. Yeah, I know. I know you disagree with me on that, but like, I think that they oh, fail no, on that aspect. I think aspect. they do fail on that aspect. My, the different where you and I sort of differ is that whether or not college needs to care that it does that. Cause yeah. co- right? Because college is not beholden to the NFL. Right, and it's making enough money on its own where it doesn't need to care and stuff like right. that. But my whole thought is, like, it's college. It's the thing that's supposed to get you prepared to do the, the career that you're choosing to do. I, I think that the NFL should do they, – they should definitely take one thing from uh, the WWE, and that's – Cruiserweight belt? NXT. Oh. Uh, so if you make a minor league, you know that Thursday night game that everyone hates? If you turn that into a minor league showcase night, I think that that gets to be a, a situation where you can show three or four games that night. You can even show you can even turn like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday into minor league night where you have football oh God, available football all the time. Jeez. It would give them what People they would want. People lose their mind. Right, but right now you have, you know, you have Sunday, Monday, Thursday as NFL time. Yeah. Right. Everyone hates that Thursday game. It's almost never good. The Monday night game is a little bit different, right? But then you often end up in situations where you've got people who played Monday night, then having to go to play either early games on Saturday or in at least one case that I can think of, play play a either a late Sunday night or a Monday night game and then play on Thursday. That you know, like that, that should never happen. That should never happen. Yeah, so that's scheduling. It would make a lot right more there. sense to me if you want to be able to have a minor league that operates where you can evaluate players during your own season. Make it so that Sunday and Monday are for professional football. Saturday is for college. Friday is for high school, the way it is now. But then you take Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you have the entire midweek section to be able to run a minor league, to be able to showcase players that could end up at a a higher level. But the problem with that that is, is it requires a level of investment the NFL is not willing to make. I think the only way that that would work is if they bought out the XFL, because the XFL is the only other entity that has – a large enough presence at this point to be able to make that work. And even it would have to grow into it, right? Like it's got, yeah, yeah. you know, it's got stadiums that it plays in now in in eight major cities around the United States, but there are 30 NFL teams. Like every one of those teams would need a minor league to be able to, to be able well, to. I don't know football. if every single one of them would need a minor league. If my, but you'd it, have to, you'd have to, they would have to, I don't know, would they have to share? They I, would. I so, and, and so the, what I'm sort of using in the model of this is the way that the AHL and the ECHL work for the NHL, where occasionally teams do share. And actually, this happened with the G League as well, where for a while, you know, teams were sharing G League teams to be able to to, to do to player development. And I have to say, like, if you want to look at a, a successful transition of a league into a real minor league, the way that the ECHL and the way that the G League have been handled are excellent examples of that, where they've given large organizations the opportunity to get get people playing time and learn the skills that they need them to have to be able to operate at the at, at the NBA level. Like you 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 look at for instance guys like um like Taco Fall. Like Taco Fall right now is learning skills in the G League that will likely allow him to be a you know an NBA level player mm. sooner rather than later. And you know already there are three people on the uh, the, the Celtics that I can think of right now in uh, Robert Williams, um, Daniel Tyson, Jalen Brown, who spent some time at the, you know, at the G League level, learning some of those skills that they would then apply at a higher level. So, like, if you're the NFL and you're constantly complaining about the fact that nobody knows how to block, you know what you can do? Teach it to them. 
put them in a position position where they're doing it in actual games. But to do that, they have to be able to invest in enough teams to make another league. At the very least, I would say that they would want to create like a 10-team minor league or buy one. And the only one that's out there that they could buy at this point would be the XFL. So, hmm. And then move it during your season. Make sure that you're, you're in a situation where it's as easy as possible for you to take a player out of one league and slot them into another. You know, so that they're still in shape, they're still in training the whole nine yards. And to do that, you need to give them nights to play when people pay, will pay attention, which means that we can finally get what we want and get rid of that stupid Thursday game. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on real quick. Um, we did get some news that Dante Skarnecki is continuing to work for the Patriots organization, even in retirement. Much like when he retired the first time, he is currently representing the Patriots at the NFL Combine this week. Uh, doing evaluations of linemen. This is not terribly surprising, but sort of an indication that he, you know, still has some, you know, th- some good feelings for the Patriots as an organization. That's good. And I'm sure they paid him a boatload of money to do it. Uh, and then the last bit of news that I have for you is that Mohamed Sanu is undergoing offseason surgery to repair the high ankle sprain that ended his 2019 season. I'm honestly a little surprised it took this long, but it does sound like that high ankle sprain is one of the things that made him a little less than um, effective through him most of the season. Balls. Well, look, nothing's going to make him stop well, dropping balls with his legs. I don't but... think it's going to care. Well, it did mean that he wasn't able to run a lot of the lo- a lot of the routes that they wanted. So, it, well, a lot of times that why he wasn't necessarily open. So, we'll see. Anyway, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we will check in on the Fisher Cats because, of course, their players are currently in spring training as well. We will check in on the Seattle Dragons, our adopted team in the XFL. Yay. And then we'll talk about the possibility of the Olympics being canceled. <laughs> We are back. So, of course, the uh, members of the Fisher Cats are also in spring training. Of course, they are all down Ooh. with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they have they, they did name a coach. Did we talk about the new coach during the offseason? I don't think we have, actually. Right. So, <laughs> their new head coach is going to be uh, a first-year manager, uh, Cesar Martin, who was previously the manager of the Advanced A Dunedin Blue Jays uh, up to the AA level. Uh, they did name the remainder of his coaching staff. Um, he does have a veteran working as his pitching coach, uh, Jim. I'm going to say this wrong, but it's Jalkowski, I believe is how you're supposed to say it, uh, will serve as a pitching coach. He's 56, has been working uh, in um, the AA level for a while now. Um, he was a coach for them in 2014 when they came in third in the Eastern League. Um, they have another, they have a, a younger bench coach, uh, in, uh, where is his full name here? I have, uh, the last name is young, but I don't see a first name listed for him in the article. Uh, anyway, um, we also do have a former player, uh, Chris Schaefer, who was a catcher for them for a long time. will be moving, um, to a, be a position. He will basically be a catcher's coach for them, a position player coach. Okay. Um, and he spent four years basically from 2013 to, uh, 2017 in various parts of the Blue Jays organization, along with some time down at um, the AA level with Manchester. So hmm. we'll keep an eye on them. 
Uh, the Seattle Dragons lost their third game of the season by a final score of twenty-four to twelve. I believe that dropped. They lost two. all three of them. I think they they're one and two because I think they they're won their. Two. Okay, they won I think they week. won their second game of the season. Yeah, they were the bottom of the power rankings going into the season. <laughs> I know, and we did basically choose them almost entirely based on their name. I know. <laughs> Hey, I figured it was Seattle. We have a friend in Seattle. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a blowout. Uh, you know, it was a uh, a one score game at halftime. It was uh, the Dragons actually led twelve to six, um, but they ended up giving up a, a fair no- uh, eighteen unanswered points to lose by a final score of twenty four to twelve uh, to the uh, Dallas Renegades. Um, yeah, look, the best thing that I can say about the XFL is that it's football, and that's actually kind of a win for a yeah. league that was I, mostly a you know a, a considered to be a bit of a joke the first time that it was announced as coming I, back. I sat down at Duncan's uh, last week, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a cup of coffee with my wife, and was pleasantly surprised that there was some XFL on the screen as I was sitting there drinking. Mm-hmm. And I had a rather nice time watching some football, enjoying a cup of coffee. I do think that this might be like I, I was very skeptical going into this season. I think this is going to be sustainable for them. I still think they would have been better off waiting a little bit before bringing it back. But the fact that it looks like football, yeah, is enough of a it's, win it's, that I think that they'll be able to maintain a, a, a real a, a real fan uh, presence. And they, I think they did a smart thing in, in where they put a lot of the teams. Like I would have loved to have one closer than new york as uh you know so that we can pay attention DC. to it but it's about equidistance uh well dc's a little bit further south but either way like I, it would have been nice to have them have one in new england somewhere even if they put but it like, like but they have really bad names they do <laughs> it's the defenders and the guardians yeah I regardless the, you know this like if they can keep i will be very interested to see what the ratings look like for the beginning of the second season because i definitely think they're going to fall off of the remainder of this season but i think when you're talking about an expansion league, that's normal, right? Like there is a certain point at which you're not, you know, the curiosity is sort of faded. But it looks enough like football; it wouldn't surprise me to find out that the ratings are actually pretty good in the second season, and that's really, I think, really, I think where where we're going to find out whether or not this is going to end up being sustainable. I, I believe they signed three-year media deals when they when they uh, when Ooh, they did this. So, like, I think that they do definitely have guaranteed coverage which is one of the things that kind of sunk the XFL the first time around. I, I can tell that they're doing good for me because I'm actively trying to find time to watch a game. Yeah, uh, you know, that's a good point. Like, the fact that they're drawing interest from people who are not in any of those markets, I think is a good sign. Yeah. Like, I, I have not been in a situation where an XFL game has been on and I've been dismissive of the idea that it's been on, right? Like, it at least looks like football, which, again... That's a real win for a league that didn't exist a year ago. Yeah. Last bit of news that I have for you is that the Olympic uh, officials in for the Tokyo Olympics have, have uh, basically dismissed the idea that they are that they are looking into canceling the games because of the COVID nineteen coronavirus outbreak. Um, they have not entirely dis- you dismissed the idea might, that they might do it at all, but they basically said that anything at this point would be speculation. We are in the window at which the games can be canceled. I believe they can be canceled up to 90 days ahead of the opening of the games, which begin in July, I think. What, like 150 days away or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Um, you know, we're in a situation where uh, they start July 24th. So basically up until the end of uh, of uh, April, they'll have the opportunity to cancel the games if they need to do so. 
Huh. Um, I'll be very interested to see what happens here because, you know, the, the, the Olympics are not like most other events. <clears throat> Even with the existing infrastructure, which is one of the reasons why Tokyo was granted the 2020 Games, because they still had a lot of infrastructure left over from other things, um, you're still looking at a situation where this game is costing somewhere between 12.6 and 20 billion dollars to put on. Um, the N- Japan's National Audit Board indicates that the overall cost to the country of Japan is 28 billion dollars for, for these games. So, canceling them isn't really going to save them any of the money at this point. A lot of those that money has already been spent. I would expect they would try to keep this, you know, if at all possible. But really, like. If you're dealing with a possible pandemic outbreak, and Japan definitely is, that's got to be a really, really hard line to ride. And ultimately, like, I do wonder if this doesn't end up being Japan, uh, the the uh, IOC's decision. Like, it would not surprise me to, uh, at all yeah, to find out that this ends up being a decision that ends up getting made by the country of Japan. Um, so, I honestly don't think that they'll cancel it, even even if it's like a bad decision to not. Yeah. You think that it'll end up going forward? Like, I I don't think the IOC would cancel it, but it wouldn't surprise me to find out that the government of Japan who let's face it, like these are, well, you know, I say that, but they did just cancel like elementary schools because of uh, the virus. Right. I don't know. Like Eh, maybe they will. We're basically two months away from having them having to be able to make that decision. And 60 days is a long time. So it's entirely possible that something changes by then. You know, like one of the bits of news that we got that was not sports related is that there is a possible vaccine that can be created for the the COVID-19 virus because of a fast genotyping project that was uh, put into place when it first appeared. So, you know, maybe things have improved enough by then that they feel comfortable going forward, but they require that if you're traveling to the games, you be inoculated against it. So I don't know. We'll we'll keep an eye on this. Obviously, you know, I don't as much as I bag on the Olympic Committee, because I do think that it's an incredibly (laughs) corrupt organization. Horrible. You know, I do have some love for, you know, the Olympics as a as an event. So I really don't want to see it canceled. But, Mm. man, that's got to be a hard, hard decision to make at this point, both for the government and for um, the the IOC. Anyway, that will do it for this week. This has been the Unqualified Sports Show. Uh, if you have a story that you'd like to share with us, you can feel free to do so at our we- uh, uh, at our email address, unqualifiednetworks at gmail.com. If you'd like to find more of our stuff, including our main podcast, you can find it at unqualifiednetworks at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at unqualifiednet. You can follow me on Twitter at nsnitko, that is N-S-N-I-T-K-O. And you can follow Forrest on Twitter at Forrest James. Um, yeah, so that'll do it for this week, and we'll see you again soon.